welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back, Dr. Parachi, to Fracture Line. We're excited to have you on. We're here today to talk about the Octo Paper, which is uh, entitled Surgical Stabilization of Rib Fractures in Octogenarians and Beyond. What are the outcomes? Essentially, this looks like it's a multi-center retrospective cohort um, involving eight of our centers. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct, uh, Mark. And, and I'll just uh, pause for a moment on the title and say that it, I'm nothing if not a uh, consistent, and I uh, try to adhere very closely to the title format of a statement, and then a you know semicolon or a and then a question, right? So like um, Burt Reynolds dash friend or foe question mark. I, I think there, there's actually like a, a higher chance that your abstract or paper will get accepted if you adhere to that format, and I think it's actually been studied and, and scientifically proven in a paper called How to Get Abstracts Accepted, dash, should I end with a question, question mark. <laughs> well, and I thought the beyond was also like very sci-fi-ish, so it kind of was like, I'm, yeah. I'm interested, you know, it was like, wow, what's beyond? What's beyond? It was like, you know, confusing. It was awesome. No, really ropes you in. Let's just say, um, you know, Tom White is not coming up with titles that good. I'll tell you that <laughs> yeah. much. That's true. I support that. I support that statement. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about uh, your results. I, I certainly have some questions. I mean, I think the the, the paper does uh, beg some further studies, and you know, it, it's very thought provoking. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys this morning. It's it's really always a pleasure. Um, and the genesis of this paper was a, as we became more experienced with SSRF. I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I do think it's a generalizable phenomenon where you kind of start out with cases that are not as challenging, uh, either because of fracture patterns or locations or just the overall uh, condition of the patient uh, in terms of their demographics and also their injury severity and in, you know, non-chest wall areas. Um, and so the elderly subgroup uh, was always uh, excluded uh, from uh, studies of SSRF. So all the way back to Tanaka, which we learned at the November forum yesterday is about to celebrate its 20 year anniversary. Moving forward through all the other RCTs, uh, excluded patients uh, who were 55 or 60 years old or, or older. Um, and so there was this recognition that they're a special patient subgroup and probably because they're at higher risk for complications, their bones might take plates less well and, and so forth. But then what happened was a bunch of us started doing uh, rip plating on uh, elderly patients. And um, I remember a very specific case where I uh, did a rib fixation on a 100-year-old patient uh, with a flail chest who was like an active uh, gardener before uh, we operated on her. And I got all kinds of flack from, uh, from my own group here and then actually even from the CWIS community because they just thought it was pushing the envelope too far. Um, which I understand. I mean, it, it did seem a little crazy at the time. So, so we thought we would study it. And we certainly weren't the first to study it. Uh, a lot of other authors had either done subgroup analyses of elderly populations or even specifically looked at them. Uh, but no one had ever done it in a multi-center fashion. And so we harnessed the power of CWIS, uh, which has kind of been the theme of the society lately, which is amazing for research purposes. And we sent out a call for interested centers and um, we got eight centers, each of which had um, 
maintain prospective databases of their rib fixation patients. And I think five of the eight centers we had collaborated before on our uh, timing of SSRF paper, which utilized the same databases. And um, just ask the question, uh, were outcomes better or worse with rib fixation in the elderly uh, population? And we started, we, we went pretty high. We, we had our lower cutoff at 80 years, and we went all the way up to 103, I believe. So, so that was it. And the hypothesis specifically was that uh, patients who um, underwent SSRF among 80-year-olds or greater uh, had decreased mortality versus those who underwent non-operative management. And, and the first issue we were prepared to tackle was that uh, in a retrospective study, when you ask people to give you a bunch of patients who were you know, 80, 90, 100 years old and either had rib fixation or they didn't, there's going to be a ton of confounding, right? So the people who were offered rib fixation were probably less severely injured overall. They didn't have really bad TBIs. They had a lot of social or family support so that, um, you know, their goals of care were clearly established. Uh, they were functioning independently beforehand and so forth. So we uh, used a methodology to try to mitigate that, which was a matching methodology. So we matched patients by... Uh, age uh, and by degree of TBI and also by degree of um, chest wall injury. Um, and then, you know, we did our best. Um, there are a lot of things you can't really get from a retrospective chart review, like, you know, if you're an avid gardener or not, if you're 100 years old. Uh, but we did our best with the stuff we had available to us. So we came up with 360 patients after the matching process, and, and they were matched one to two with non-operative patients. So 133 uh, operative, and then the remainder were non-operative. And even after the matching process, we still found significant differences uh, between the groups. And um, uh, you can imagine that the patients who underwent surgery for their ribs had more severe chest wall injuries, right? So their rib scores were higher. They were more likely to have flail chest. They were more likely to have local regional anesthesia uh, and so forth. So, so we had to go to a second step after the matching, which was a regression analysis. And it was a Poisson regression analysis, which, as you all know, is named after that character uh, in The Little Mermaid um, who looked like the stork, I believe. Um, I may, you might want to fact check that one though. I, I don't know the, I don't know if that's true. I'm fact checking that immediately. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand yeah, do that, the, uh, the details of that type of regression, but it basically tries to adjust for some of the other differences that were observed. And <laughs> even, even after, um, that regression analysis, there, there remained, um, a significant decreased mortality in the operative versus the non-operative group. And uh, it was actually a 60% reduction uh, in mortality. The relative risk was uh, 0.41. So the mortality overall was 9%. Um, you know, that's higher than some of the other studies, but I will say that compared to, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, I probably would have, if I had to guess, like if it were a Hollywood Squares question, I would have guessed that mortality of 90-year-olds hospitalized with rib fractures would be higher than, 90%, uh, than 9%. So I think we... One other kind of separate finding from the paper, besides the specific question about the benefit of rib fixation, is that we've gotten pretty good at taking care of elderly patients with chest wall injuries, because a 9% mortality is, I mean, not as high as I would have guessed. But anyway, so that was the overall mortality in the sample. And then, uh, as I mentioned, the, the adjusted relative risk of mortality was significant, significantly lower in the operative group. Now, 
that decreased mortality came uh, at a cost, which was that in the operative group, again, after adjustment, regression analyses, um, the length of stay, the incidence of pneumonia, um, and, the, and the ICU length of stay were all longer in the operative group. A couple things about that. I mean, number one, if you're alive, uh, your length of stay and your chance of getting pneumonia is going to be higher than if you're dead. So there was a survivor bias for sure. Uh, and number two, I think it just gets to the fact that, like, if you're going to be aggressive and um, do surgeries on patients, um, you have to accept that they're going to probably be in the hospital longer and, and may have an increased likelihood of getting complications. The final thing I wanted to highlight in our findings was the, the disposition definition, because really this is important in any study, but when you're talking about 80 and 90-year-old patients, um, I think it's particularly important because you can decrease their mortality, but then, you know, where are they going from here? And it was nice that we actually had uh, dispo uh, de destination in the majority of our patients because, again, the eight centers kept pretty robust prospective data. And um, we didn't actually find any, any difference in the discharge destination. And then the very final thing I'll say is that we were able to abstract whether or not you were sent home on narcotics, and the operative group was less likely to be sent home on narcotics. So putting it all together, okay, um, I think we can say that uh, overall, we know that the mortality of hospitalized chest wall injury patients in this large retrospective study was about 9%. There were clearly differences in patients who were selected for surgery versus non-operative management. After adjusting for those differences, surgery was independently associated with a decreased chance of dying, increased length of stay and chance of pneumonia, no real impact on discharge uh, disposition, but less likely to go home on, on discharge uh, on narcotics. So my personal take on it, and it's open for discussion, of course, is that it was a positive study for SSRF, and maybe not like a resoundingly positive study, but positive enough that we shouldn't have an absolute contraindication to rib plating in patients who are 80 years old or greater. Well, I congratulate you on, an, uh, on a very well-written you know, novel, because like you said, it hasn't been really studied in, the, in this patient population. But it, interestingly for me, <laughs> the majority of my patients are over the age of 80. I mean, oh, the vast really? majority. <laughs> if, yeah. I'm, I'm in a, you know, in my community, it's one of the oldest communities in Massachusetts. I think it is um, by region. Oh, yeah. And um, the majority of my patients are ground level falls in nursing homes uh, by far yeah. rather so than my trauma patients. I, I think it's interesting because it, it I, I think what it provides for me is, um, patient education because you know I was talking to an 86 year old this morning and I can tell him I can tell him something that I might not have told him before because a lot of people might have said well this will decrease your incidence of pneumonia if I bring you to the operating room and maybe get you out of the hospital earlier and, and maybe those things aren't correct when you start looking at studies like this but maybe what is correct is saying I think this is really going to help your overall mortality so for me when I read the paper I, I think of patient, patient education and consent process uh, rather than you know a lot of other things. What, one question I had about the increase in pneumonia that you're seeing, we had an interesting discussion on Fracture Line, I think it was three months ago now, about the increased incidence of ARDS in some patients undergoing SSRF. Do you guys remember that paper that we discussed? Yeah. yeah. It begs this you know basic biologic question: Are certain patient populations uh, at risk because of the tissue damage that we're insulting on them, we're intubating them. Um, are we getting? Are we putting them at risk for these pneumonias with our SSRF, with our you know operations? And, and do you think that this 
population might be one of those, or do you think it's not? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think we... I think we don't really understand what's going on with the lungs uh, in patients with these severe chest wall injuries. We have, an, I guess, an inadequate understanding. So um, the pulmonary contusion literature is a great example of that. You know, that was another absolute contraindication a few years ago, and now we're starting to question that. Um, I think a lot of us are starting to do more prone approaches for our posterior fractures. So, like, does that affect either the risk or the severity of ARDS by flipping patients over for a few hours to pop open those posterior alveoli. Uh, and then the question you raised specifically, which is that just intubating and positive pressure ventilation, is that plus the tissue trauma of the surgery, does that pre actually increase the chance of ARDS? And I, I mean, these are all great questions. I, I think it would be interesting to, you know, study different ventilation uh, approaches to patients during SSRF and what we're doing in the pleural space and whether or not we're bronching. I, I think it's a great kind of next level set of research projects uh, in the field. But I, I guess I anecdotally here haven't really noticed that I, I can't remember any patients who have really flared out with ARDS where like they weren't intubated pre-op, and then after the SSRF, I wasn't able to extubate them. Anecdotally, are you, I haven't been seeing an increase in pneumonia in my patients that I'm plating in this patient population. Your paper saw that. Are you seeing that anecdotally? I'm not. Um, and, you know, again, um, I, I think there are some important signals in the paper, but I just want to, again, caution everyone with these large retrospective analyses. One of the limitations of our retrospective database, for example, is that we didn't know the temporal relationship between the surgery and the pneumonia. So it's quite possible that, for example, uh, patients um, who got pneumonia underwent plating at a late date, or they even developed pneumonia and then a few days later underwent plating. I mean, I, I personally will do SSRF in patients with pneumonia. So um, it's yeah. a little bit of a chicken and the egg question. And um, yeah. there's also that survivor bias I mentioned. So I'm not sure. And then in the randomized trials, as you know, of flail chest at least, um, SSRF actually decreased the incidence of pneumonia. Um, so I think at least in those cases, we have a better understanding of when the pneumonia happened relative to the surgery. The, uh, I, I was just saying, I agree with this chicken and the egg, you know, this ARDS um, paper as well, you wonder whether they, you know, it's, it's the fractures, it, you know, people who have weaker bones, they fracture easier. I mean, most of your patients are falling from, from height as opposed to being in a more, more, you know, more vehicle collision. And uh, so they have a higher chance of injuring their lungs because there's just not much, as much of a protective cage. And so the idea of having ARDS or pneumonia and injured lungs is probably much more common in those patients. So, um, and again, just a question of what, 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 what came first. And uh, it really is, there, is, is the f fracture repair actually the problem? I, I don't think it is, but I, I think that's, that's, it's hard to tell the temporal relation of it. Um, you know, I had one, you know, with this paper, I had one day where I, my average age of my patient was 95 on the operative table, a 94-year-old or 96-year-old. <laughs> 96-year-old looked yeah. great. 94-year-old's herb ribs were, were really just like splinters. Um, so that was a much harder operation. But they both came out of the hospital really well. And I think it's an important you know, concept that I always use is too frail to fail. And almost the, the fractures themselves are so horrible that fixing them is better for them in, in a sense. Because would you rather, would, you know, if you broke your femur and you, if you didn't, because you're an old person, you're not going to fix it? No, you're going to fix it because they won't walk ever again. 
And so you, you need to fix those things. And so that's a big, big argument I have to my patients is, you know, I understand that you're in your 90s, but you have got, you've got, you, you have a higher chance of hitting 100 than I do. And uh, you have a higher chance of, you know, getting better if we fix your ribs. So. Yeah, that's a great point, Adam. I think this, this research question is a great example of where we've kind of come full circle. You know, we used to think, let's not touch the really old patients because it's just going to make things worse. But in reality, that may be the exact reason to operate on them, because if you leave them with an unstable chest and painful respirations, then they're, they can tolerate that far less well than a young, healthy patient. The lack of local regional blockade again seen even with having just been part of the the group that looked at everybody's protocols across the country here it's in everyone's protocol to use regional blockade up front even in, in a lot of protocols prior to SSRF it's just not being done at least retrospectively when you're looking at it between 2015 and 2020 those numbers are pretty low yep so we had um, local regional anesthesia overall was used um, you know, about 25% of the time in, in these patients. And you can argue that if someone was admitted for AFib and they had one rib fracture, yeah, they would have been in this uh, included in this study and they probably didn't need local regional. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say except it's just still way too low. And, you know, it, it's like one of those things where I don't care what you use, how you do it, just put something in, some kind of local regional. We're going to miss the point if we're debating which is the best one too long. Just put you know, anyone is, is better than none at all. It depends on what your hospital feels comfortable with and your coagulopathy and all that stuff. But we, I, I don't know. It's a great question, uh, Mark. That how, how do we get people to use more local regional anesthesia? Mark, I wanted to make sure that I, I got a chance to just um, recognize and appreciate all the other centers uh, who contributed data to um, this project. Yes, please. I, I think any yeah, of please. us who have... Uh, been involved in multi-center studies, especially if you're not the lead study site, it kind of, it, sometimes it can be a little annoying to get the harassing emails and do all the data abstraction, um, you know, when you're not getting all of the glory for it. But I mean, honestly, with the exception of uh, Andy Dobin, uh, everyone was super pleasant to work with <laughs> and, um, you know, met their deadlines uh, on time. And it was just another example of the power of CWIS to, to you know, any single uh, center could probably not amass 360 80 year olds. I am struck that there were Except eight centers in an octo study. I just, you know, it, it could have been nine, it could have been 10, but eight in 80, it felt like it was notable. That's, you know, I that had never occurred to me, Sarah Ann, and I just like love that you brought that up right now. Right? That, that kind of made my, that kind of made exactly. my day. Exactly. You're going to ruminate on that. She's a dweeb. She's a dweeb. It's like a math. Yeah. It's math dweebery. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Dr. P. Appreciate it. Should we talk about this awesome meeting that we just had? I mean, just briefly, like that was great. You know, NOFA was a huge success. I well, thought. good. I'm glad you thought so. I'm actually pouring through content right now and separating out talks. Um, so that's good. The the online content will be up um, in the next, I don't know, day or two. It'll take a little bit of time to, to get the rest of this posted. Um, so anyone who, I did get a couple of emails from people who were not able to participate but are still interested in having access to the content. So if you were not able to participate live, um, don't fret, you can register uh, now and you'll still receive your email that will give you access to content once it is live. Uh, feel free to, to go ahead and make that happen and the content will be up for a year. So, you know, no, no question that that should be just fine. Um, our account um, on YouTube has been set because we have <laughs> um, 
what they're calling adult level content because we have um, bare chested people. Um, you do have to log in to YouTube um, to be able to see videos um, that we've posted. So there's that. Um, so just as, a, as an FYI, when you are accepting the notification saying that you're logging into an adult website, that is why CWIS, um, why the CWIS channel has been flagged. Um, other than that, you know, next week we have um, Journal Club and the next week we have Case Review. We are still, we have one case yet to fill um, this month. Um, we are full for December. So if you do want to get a, a case presented this year, then, then this is your chance. We have one more slot open um, in November. So go ahead and, and shoot me a quick note. That would be fantastic. Hey, Sarah yes, Ann. Yes, please. Um, I heard from uh, Dr. Nikki Werner, who's yes. one of my partners here, that, that she's taking over the Journal Club. Is that, is that accurate? She is correct. She is running the, the Journal Club for us now, and she is dynamic and cool and and we are so excited to have her be accountable for that that series. It's going to be really terrific. That's great. Yeah, as far as other things going, November 30th, if you um, don't already have that, that date circled in red, um, fellowship applications, uh, the, the CWIS KLS Martin fellowship applications are due, abstract uh, submissions are due, and we did receive our very first one. So shout out to Dr. Jordan Kirsch. Um, and the, the team from CWIS that's been working on the protocol review, that application actually was our first submission. So super excited to, uh, to have that one be the first one, actually. Then we're just looking forward to more. Last but not least, on November 30th, also um, the William B. Long Award uh, applications are, are also due if you're planning to submit one. So November 30th, big day. And now we're just uh, 19 days from it. So this is the time. Now, Dr. Crisco, I wanted to mention, you saw how you know I mentioned that I was really good with math before. I did that 19 number. I, I did that on the fly. I didn't even have that worked out in advance. Yeah. That just happened just that smooth. It's just advanced I know. To me. I, I didn't have, have to, to use my fingers. I just well. quickly did the yeah, 1911, done. Well, I got to um, I gotta run to another meeting. Is there anything else I could do for anybody? Yeah, give us a quick final stitch if you don't mind. Uh, it just got me thinking our discussion about uh, the movie Cocoon um, because I kind of forgot it existed and um, I'm just remembering that it's this great like 80s movie. I think Ron Howard uh, directed it and it's about this like elderly community. I think it takes place where you are, Marcus, and, and you were operating on most of them. Steve Gutenberg is in it, like in his prime, <laughs> like prime Gutenberg. <laughs> And um, to ask, the, did Steve Gutenberg the, have a prime? Oh, I mean, did he not have a prime? Okay. So the, he's Academy. the captain of a boat of all these old people, yeah. and they get rejuvenated <laughs> by this uh, alien species. Like they draw their their like rejuvenation from them. It takes this weird turn. So I don't know if anyone out there who's listening to this is like looking for a good movie night movie. Maybe give Cocoon another try. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my God! Bye. Awesome. Came back from the doctor's office, and um, my five-year-old and my eleven-year-old. My eleven-year-old got five shots. Oh today. man! So he's old enough to get MMR again, HPV yes. now for because he's eleven, Damn. and he got COVID and flu and DTaP. <laughs> oh so he was just—he was a pincushion. <laughs> 
and uh, and you know, and, and he also, you know, he, he's my son with, with special needs. He had to get blood. He has to get blood draws every year, so he had to get blood oh, drawn as well. Man. It was just completely. I don't think he's ever going to to a doctor again. Right. Yeah. He, you know, he's he 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 got the uh, he, he got the the baby. Oh my god. So Deserved. And then uh, and then my five year old even had four shots because you know flu and COVID just everything it's just been and they both were just great kids and did really well so i'm very proud of both my sons so that's my shout out today i've got a final stitch i want to thank publicly the k the k family for for being so hospitable last weekend uh they let us use their little cabin in the woods for uh to shoot some uh, our videos and they just opened up their home to us and were so gracious and so uh, accommodating and i it made that whole project just that much more special and 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 fun so th thank you dr k doctors k's i appreciate your hospitality it is um november 11th which means we are 11 days into christmas music in my world and um i just am using this opportunity for a mea culpa moment that that i i am one of those people <laughs> that starts listening to christmas music immediately after halloween that doesn't mean that i'm not you know, all in on Thanksgiving. I actually enjoy Thanksgiving more. I just really like Christmas music. So there's an awful lot of Christmas sounds coming out of my house and it's really making me happy. Yeah, I know my, my final stitch was uh, Veterans Day today and I'm, I'm used to the day, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of formation, you go out with all your soldier buddies and um, you remember those that have uh, been lost and you, you remember each other. And it's it usually, it's, Usually a very great day for us, uh, veterans that are out there. So happy Veterans Day to uh, our veterans, and, and also happy Veterans Day to our veterans' families. Uh, it's a good day for everybody.